to the Performance Health Podcast. My name is Tim Karen. Today, we're going to be going over energy system development principles. So this is going to be a three-part series. We're actually going to add in our fourth part with Coach Angelo Gingerelli, Seton Hall Strength Conditioning Coach, who just finished the book, Finish Strong, Resistance Training for Endurance to Athletes, which is going to go over our case study, normally only accessible on the website through our subscription in the members area. But we're going to open up that to everybody so we can kind of get a a good snapshot of case study as well as just getting Coach Gingerelli talking about his new book and his insights. An amazing interview, and I can't wait for you guys to hear that. I want to give a special shout out to our official sponsor, Realize.me. It's your command center for all health and data of wellness. I personally use this for my own tracking. Uh, it is an amazing tool. I have a bunch of different information siloed off in all these areas that it becomes hard to really organize and it becomes overwhelming to try to just understand what these things are doing. So on any given week, I'm tracking aura, I'm tracking blood pressure, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, HRV, blood pressure, resting heart rate, force, force plate, counter movement jump, non-counter movement jump, mid-thigh iso rack pull, blood glucose, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Not only that, I'm tracking my training, I'm tracking my nutrition, I'm tracking my supplements. Where and when am I going to have the time to organize all this? And this is where Realize came in for. I mean, Realize has been working with with my gym and my coaches here for the last seven months. And I cannot say enough amazing things about it. And the cool thing about it is the founders, Ryan Lissack and Danny Song, are, are members and they're doing the program themselves. So this is for, for all of us is there are four people that have the problems that we're facing as strength coaches. And I think they just bring an amazing tool for us to organize and triangulate this really comp complicated web of data and wellness things. And now we have a tool to consolidate this all down and then we can create experiments and we can look at our interventions and we can look at what is the cause effect relationship off the things that we're doing. Is it working? Is it not working? Did I apply it wrong or was it the wrong hypothesis? These are all important questions for us as strength coach. Realize.me will help you with that. You can get on their wait list now and become a member when they open up at a discounted rate. So I highly recommend you get on that. Not only that, we'll give you discounts to supplements through uh, incredibly high level supplement brands that I really recommend and get discount on labs and potential wearables. Um, so this is going to be a great tool for all strength conditioning coaches. Uh, I use it. I'm a big fan, a huge advocate, and I'm super stoked that they're sponsored for us. Also to strength deficit, the book leveraging ratios between eccentric and concentric strength was available for pre-order. If you order now, you'll save $10 off the retail price on Amazon, as well as you get a copy of the actual programs that inspired the books. So the same programs I used in 2016 at Army West Point, the year that we ended the 15-year losing streak to Navy, that is the programs that I put in this book. So you have the, the whole entire the whole entire uh, off-season program that we use there. So I hope you guys get a chance to get that pre-order. Looking forward to you guys coming in and seeing uh, this book and all the other stuff we have sharing. Without further ado, Principles Practical. So we're coming back upon training and this time we're going to go through energy system development i think it's uh, worth mentioning go back and listening to our cardiovascular module in our nutritional curriculum and uh, the three segments that we had or four segments that we had there between principles and talking about how the cardiovascular system functions and delivering oxygen to peripheral how we can track this through different mechanisms like resting heart rate blood pressure etc and then the interview we had with preston green 
talking about how he thinks about the cardiovascular system. And I'll be honest, Preston's interview was probably really probably better served for energy system development here. And Preston went into a lot of different pathways and a lot of different functions he's thinking about from an energy system perspective, but the same kind of concept. And there's a lot of overlap. So part of that, but I'm going to get into the actual principles on this episode, trying to get some sort of foundational piece to understand energy systems. Um, and then and there's, a, there's a caveat here too, thinking about the idea of energy systems and the overall function and structure when we're thinking about the term of energy systems. And we're going to bring on a guy by the name of Evan Pikin talking about his approach on bioenergetics and then some of the foundational pieces that we have of thinking about the different systems and the time each system functions and how that might be misguided or, you know, really grossly misunderstood. Um, and then another really, really good guy to talk about would be Rob Jacobs and his, his just illuminating of the citric acid cycle and the electron transport chain and mitochondrial function from a bio, uh, a biochemical standpoint, from a cofactor standpoint, from even as something as as all-encompassing as light and different spectrums hitting our skin, hitting our hitting our eyes, and impacting downstream pathways from how it functions and different UV spectrums on the electron transport complex one through five, how the citric acid cycle functions and rotates, things like electron spin and creating some hydrogen, uh, utilizing a, a mechanism to excrete hydrogen through H2O, um, eliminating CO2, uh, incredible resource. So um, those two guys, uh, I think, are going to be really valuable if you wanted to dive a little bit deeper, and I can't say enough good things about them. But let's talk about, you know, what is an energy system, right? An energy system is some sort of, of quantitative property transferred from one object to another, right? So how do we create energy within a, an open system, a human body? That's a really important thing to think about. And one of the things that we need to really understand, energy is not destroyed, right? So if we have a source of energy in our body, it's usually ATP, right? And pretty much all substrates are trying to get to some form of ATP to be utilized for energy. And we could talk about ketones here somewhere down the future. But, you know, the idea is ATP is our primary fuel substrate that we're trying to use within voluntary movement, um, rest and recovery or involuntary movement. It's just basically how we utilize ATP or our energy currency within our body is what really we're thinking about with energy systems. And the thing that we're gonna talk about is energy systems is this, is this process of, well, how can I procure or create this energy substrate, uh, substrate for me to do the task that I'm asked to do, right? So if I'm asked to sprint, I'm asked to lift, I'm asked to go for a very long duration, you know, how and where do I source that energy from specifically ATP? And that's the kind of thing that we need to really appreciate when it's energy system wise, right? Thinking about it from well, what is what is actually the construct we're trying to understand here. Sometimes it's termed bioenergetics, right? This idea of biology and energetics inter interlocking, creating some sort of some sort of mechanism to appreciate and understand, you know, how energy is created specifically within the open system or the human body. But what is ATP? Anderson triphosphate, you know, and when we're thinking about it, ATP is the gasoline our car runs off of, you know, and what, what happens is when we utilize a 
ATP. We break off a phosphate and that creates traditionally in our ex kind of world, a myosin actin cross bridge that creates a contraction, right? We, we shrinking the Z, we Z disc phosphate gets cleaved and then we're left with anisine diphosphate break it down even further in anisine um, monophosphate or AMP, and we start to go about our business. And the rate, the amount of ATP present alongside with the rate in which we deplete ATP is really the structure and what energy systems are all about, right? It's the amount and the, and the rate of ATP loss that dictates theoretically, and again, I'm going to talk about this in the future with what Evan's going to talk about in terms of is it really this binary thing of like this singular system working in a sim- simple singular fashion, right? The phosphogen system does not work in isolation and all the way through to the oxidative system. But it goes into this next level of, you know, we're essentially burning heat, right? So you think about the idea of a kilocalorie is essentially like one, one kilocalorie burnt in a Bunsen burner to create some sort of version of heat, which is energy. Heat is energy. So when we burn ATP, we're essentially creating heat. And that ATP, again, cleaving a phosphate, going to anisine diphosphate, cleaving another phosphate, going to anisine monophosphate, creates a certain amount of heat exchange to allow us to do the things that we want to do. Now, on the other end, when we're thinking about this from a level of, we're not just this high, high burning, high rate of exhaustion of ATP with no counter mechanisms, right? This this is the balancing effect. And one of the things that we talk about in our module, and I think is worth mentioning, and we've talked about this kind of a lot in, in various other modules with nutrition and duality and looking at variability, is this idea of what goes up must go down, right? We can't just constantly burn ATP at a high rate without having some sort of, some drop off, you know, whether we can't maintain a certain speed or we can't, we can't repeat a certain speed or we just simply can't recover in a, in a an expedient time frame, right? And, and Eastern medicine has a concept for this and it's termed chi, right? So chi is synonymous in my mind with heat, heat exchange, right? This idea of thermodynamics of energy is not created nor destroyed. It's transferred from one medium to the next is, is a very, very simple concept. If you look at it from an Eastern philosophy of, of yin and yang or chi, right? This energy force or life force throughout the body is just being moved around, right? And we can look at this in a bunch of different ways, right? We can look at this from a neurotransmitter standpoint. We can look at it from, from where we have certain balancing effects of, of more uplifting energetic neurotransmitters, from like acetylcholine and dopamine, or more uh, relax and rest and digest between uh, GABA or or serotonin. But doesn't it sound a lot like the sympathetic parasympathetic system and autonomic nervous system in itself, right? And we look at the, the utilization of energy, you know, we think that the phosphogen system or even the glycolytic system, this anaerobic without the presence of oxygen is going to be more of the sympathetic, more yang type of system versus the more oxidative or what we do in between or what we're doing for extended periods of time is more of this yin or parasympathetic system. And it's the balancing effect of these two is what really makes a difference, right? And we, we look at overall health is the ability to balance these systems in a very, very global, large spectrum. And we talked about the book Scale by uh, Jeffrey West and looking at the three reasons why species live longer, any organism, right, lives longer is 
based off of lower overall body temperature throughout the course of their life, right? So they're burning less energy, less caloric expenditure, and less heartbeats, right? Or whatever thing is driving blood through the system, right? When metaphorically, right? So if we think about that from a level of performance, we're in the opposite direction. We're intentionally raising heat. We're intentionally burning more calories and we're intentionally raising our heart rate for performance outcomes. So we have to look at it from the energy system development in relation to this yin and yang or this overall parasympathetic sympathetic It has some sort of point of diminishing returns. And from a performance perspective, it's leveraging how to get the most from that bioenergetic pathway, whether it's phosphagen or utilizing predominantly phosphate driven stuff like ATP, creatine phosphate, glycolytic, or using more glucose and glycogen to create more ATP, which is a little slower burn, as I like to say, but it has the outcome of potentially getting another energy substrate of lactate. And there's a whole dynamic that I think we need to appreciate about lactate. Lactate is not the not the fatigue substrate. Lactate is the outcome of not creating enough acetyl-CoA and to get to the mitochondria to, to survive longer durations of certain certain heart rate or certain heat or certain ATP ex- expenditure. And we have to find some sort of countermeasure. And we look at lactate dehydrogenase now as more of an equilibrium step, right? We have circulating hydrogen ions from NADH not being created the way we want within the cell, within the mitochondria and not going to electron transport chain. We have a bunch of circulating hydrogen ions. Those start to enter the cytosol and lactate dehydrogenase needs to create this equilibrium step. Instead of converting pyruvate into acetyl-CoA to enter into the mitochondria, we turn pyruvate into lactate and lactate's got to go somewhere. And lactate doesn't function well in anaerobic muscle fibers. So we need to transport that somewhere. First step is probably the core cycle, but that's really, really inefficient. That's going to go to the liver and that's going to create some sort of rate limiting step for performance, right? If the goal is performance, then lactate going all the way to deliver to be metabolized and create more ATP is a really slow, elongated process versus this monocarboxylate transport systems, MCT1, MCT4, I believe, is the systems that transfer some of these, some of these lactate, lactate molecules into other muscle cells, specifically type one or mitochondrial rich, where lactate dehydrogenase is a bidirectional step. So we get into this lactate back into the cell. We don't have a bunch of circulating hydrogen ions within a type one muscle fiber. So that lactate dehydrogenase can take that lactate and convert it back into pyruvate. And then just go straight into the cell to actually, or mitochondria to create acetyl-CoA and then go through the, the citric axis cycle and then go through electron transport chain to create more energy. And this kind of goes into the idea, and we're going to talk about this in practical, this, this, the difference between power and capacity, right? It's having a lot of type 2X muscle fibers or having a large cross-sectional muscle area and predominantly fast-width muscle fibers is going to create a lot of a big engine, and it's going to create a powerful engine. Problem is, in team sports, it's not about how fast you can go on one rep. It's about how much you can repeat that effort. And our recovery is always going to be oxidatively. And this is what Evan will talk about from biogenics. These systems are working concurrently. They're always working, right? This idea that this is isolated system, we can just zero in on that. And, you know, the folks that talk about we don't need to develop our oxidative pathways. All we need to do is sprint and lift. You know, that's a very misguided perception because what we're doing is lowering the potential of density of high volume anaerobic phosphagen work we can do in a training session because our recovery pathways are so bad. All that being considered, 
it's this idea of a very limited approach to energy system development will create a very, very diminished outcome, relatively speaking. It might actually increase risk. But the simplest way to view this is looking at yin and yang or looking at this duality approach to, to the universe, right? What goes up must go down. What is dark needs light? You know, this, this idea that there's always a balancing force in nature and it's no different from the human body. And performance is going to be unbalanced by its, in its actual definition, right? I'm trying to sprint faster, jump higher, lift something heavier. That is a, or even go longer, that is in direct opposition to the way our bodies are structured. And you go all the way back into some Paleolithic research and looking at how we hunted and gathered and how we went through periods of time of, of fasting or famine. And we needed to utilize available energy substrates and we need to reduce our energy expenditure and rely more on oxidative pathways or more on, on beta oxidation and lipolysis and using energy stores within the body to create the enough function to be able to go out there and procure or find more food. If not, we died. You know, so our, and then every once in a while comes into this idea of I got to need to turn the, the, the gas on and go for it and try to hunt and kill an animal that I know is faster than me. Right. And we need to be able to utilize that when we need to. But in between, you know, we, we have to figure out ways to recover. You know, there's a, it's kind of a joke, but there's a line from this uh, Wolfpack Credo. And, you know, for the, my Wolfpack folks out there, though, the Wolfpack Credo is hunt when you must, rest when you can, and play in between. Right. Is, but isn't that like a universal thing for all, like all carnivores or in our cases where, um, we're a combination, we're omnivorous, we eat everything, right? We eat meat, we eat vegetables, we eat starchy, starchy tubers, you know, we, we eat grain, we eat everything. But the idea is that for us to be able to, in normal circumstances, for majority of our species existence is to, we need to have the mechanisms to go periods of time without eating, go periods of time of really elongated stuff. And there's plenty of research to show different hunting methods and trying to track down more uh, faster animals, just wearing them down by a process of almost like fartlek type running of just keeping one person as the pacer and then just trying to wear them down eventually. And then turn on the jets and sprint or throw a spear or throw a rock at a very high velocity. This is all the interplay of anaerobic and, and uh, anaerobic or oxidative and phosphogen system to create enough energy to be able to accomplish the task. But the same thing in sport, when we look at this now, it's like, it's still raining true. You know, this is a, in my mind, duality is a law, right? Just like thermodynamics is a law, that duality is always gonna be true. And, I've, and the definition of a law means that it's on a, without a shadow of a doubt on this, in this universe or on this planet, it, it's true, right? This, we don't know if it's not absolutely true until we actually go into you know, situations where that might not be the case. But for the most part, things that go up must go down. And things that go down must go up, right? This has to have some sort of, some level of, of deeper, more foundational thought to really appreciate developing energy systems. So going back into physics here, first law of thermodynamics is this idea that energy is not created nor destroyed, right? So we're essentially transferring energy from one form to another, ATP to heat. Right. How much heat can we produce within a, a bout of exercise is relative to the rate in which we burn that ATP and the sustainability of that. Eventually, though, you know, like any fire, 
it's going to need oxygen. Oxygen needs uh, fire needs oxygen. Heat needs oxygen. So us to continue to burn that flame or burn or a burn or exchange ATP in the form of heat, we're going to need some sort of downstream longer process to create energy over time. And this kind of goes into the idea of, well, what is our backup system? What is our backup generator? And on one end, you know, performance is really tied into anaerobic output, predominantly phosphogen power capacity, right? This five to 10 second all out work effort relying on ATP creatine phosphate. And then our ability either to do it one all out effort or repeat that is gonna be really contingent upon the systems in place between repetitions or the systems in place between training sessions to allow us to recover, right? If you think about this from a compounding interest standpoint, if person A can only get a certain amount of volume and person B can get double the volume in a training session just because they're more, they're more efficient in terms of recovery, if person A can't recover between training sessions faster than 72 to 96 hours, and person B can recover between 24 and 48 hours, over a course of a week, a month, a year, who's going to be better? Who's going to get more progress? Person B. Person A might have started off better. They might have had a better foundational levels in terms of speed, power, strength. But person B will have better overall development in that same time period they might not reach the same levels, but they will develop more because essentially they're not rate limited by their lack of recovery ability inter and intra training session. And that's the difference. And that's why oxidative capacity needs to be at the forefront of any anaerobic pathway we're trying to develop because we're not working predominantly. Most of us are not working with individual sports that just need to do one thing. And I would be missed to say that the best all-out effort sports in the world between weightlifting, track and field are building incredible pathways to get more density and volume safely in a training cycle. You know, and you could talk about this from a block perspective of concentrated loading. We could talk about this from a concurrent model where we're trying to develop multiple pathways simultaneously. It doesn't really matter at this point what philosophy you have in terms of overall physiological development. What matters is this big foundational piece of how we're going to get there is predicated by how much I can do safely. And if I lack oxidative capacity, if I lack the ability to transport oxygen within the cell and utilize that oxygen to turn pyruvate into acetyl-CoA, and then I'll let that acetyl-CoA create a bunch of electrons to enter the electron transport chain to shuttle a bunch of hydrogen ions within an intermembrous space to get all the way to complex five. And then all of a sudden goes through ATP synthase. And then that creates this electron spin and either is going to produce reactive oxygen species, or it's going to create a ton of ATP. We're talking 35 to 37 net units of ATP and H2O and CO2 to be exported throughout the cell or not, and we're gonna to have to go another pathway and rely on lactate systems to go to other, other muscle cells. And if I lack the foundational piece to transport that lactate somewhere in a very short, expedient manner, then I'm limiting my potential from training. 
So the thing that I really want to get across here is when we're thinking about pathways, we're thinking about the phosphagen system of immediate, rapid, ATP, creatine phosphate, five to 10 seconds, maximal effort. That is a system that could be developed concurrently by having better recovery pathways and removing of acidity within the cell, removing of fatigue substrates, higher circulating levels of calcium, you know, means that the sarcoplasmic reticulum is not going to release calcium. And then we're not going to get this tropomyosin and troponin type connection to create actin-myosin connections and contraction. So we have to go downstream. We have to go through glycolysis. And glycolysis, if you really look at it, is our, is our more primal energy system. This is before there was oxygen on planet Earth. This is how cells created energy anaerobically, right? We are from a evolutionary standpoint, the spawn of anaerobic cells or anaerobic creatures, right? And reason why is because there wasn't much oxygen present, right? And then whatever mechanism created, you know, the, the ecosystem that the world is now that predicated off oxygen and hydrogen, hydrogen dioxide or water, you know, now we have this opportunity to create longer duration energy. And this allowed us to survive as a species when others couldn't. Our ability to go to this more modern evolutionary based energy system of oxidative pathways has put us in a position to survive extremely stressful environments, extremely diverse and, and difficult terrains, and allowed us now to this point create something that was needed for survival into sport and recreation. And if you think about it from the context of, if all we had was glycolysis, we have a bunch of really bad athletes. That's it. Like glycolysis is the most inefficient of all energy systems. It is a really expensive process. We net two ATP and it takes us four ATP to get through that process. Not to mention it spawns off a lot of hydrogen there's a lot of steps. There's a lot of potential cracks in the armor. So if one step is not working, then it's going to get blocked before it even gets started. Even getting within the cell, you know, just converting glucose into glucose 6-phosphate is not the easiest, most simple foregone conclusion, right? If that cell is not really working properly, whether it's, it's overly acidic environment or there's just a lot of overall quote unquote inflammatory markers. There's a lot of immune markers going on. Glucose entering the cell is not the easiest thing in the world to do. Now, the other part is if we have this pathway within the cell and mitochondria, and we can go to this oxidative pathway, you know, not only can we handle really diverse, really multifactorial environments, we could perform at a higher level because we can essentially accomplish more in a given period of time. Person B, the person who can get more density in a training session and then higher frequency within a microcycle and subsequently higher, higher volumes at higher intensities within a meso, it's going to be net better. They're going to be more resilient in handling these really stressful environments. It's overreaching is predicated off of do they have the underlying physiology to recover from that. And that is oxidative. There's a really, personally, I think it's a seminal article 
but Steve Pliss's article looking, it's all the way back from the 90s, but looking at anaerobic metabolic conditioning, a brief review and theory and strategy of practical application. And I will put this out there to the world through all of our social is this idea that it's the power that probably people gravitate organically to, but it's the capacity of the system which determines overall success. And capacity is recovery. Capacity is our ability to repeat based off of our underlying mechanisms to be more diverse. And the thing we talked about in our module is, is how diverse is your bioenergetic portfolio? Right, you look at it from a finance perspective. If you have all your money in one stock and it's a blue chip stock, and you're thinking, like, man, this better go good. Let's say it was like you bought you bought early and you're trying to get a high return, and that's the only thing you paid money on. And let's say this is meteoric rise, right? Let's say that you bought a bunch of stock in Enron in the in the early 90s, and all of a sudden, man, you're getting hundred thousand times x what you invested in just pretty sweet and then it collapses you have no money elsewhere you're going to be broke you're going to be collect you're going to be filing for bankruptcy now imagine if all you do is lift heavy you're going to get really strong and then you get hurt or then you start to hit point of diminishing returns in the plateau and you can't bust through that plateau because you don't have the the bioenergetic portfolio to help you push through and get more density or more volume or incorporate more diversity within your programming. That your mesos have to go a little bit longer because you can't recover as much because you can't get as much and you can't get as much frequency as you should. And then your rotation of exercises or different, different protocols is slower and lessened and your portfolio sucks. This to me, I think is a foundational principle and just goes all the way back to duality, yin and yang. If we lack balance, we will struggle to overall reach the levels that we want to reach. So take a second, think about that. If you are not a member of PH Podcast, obviously I recommend you get on that because we have the graphics that I think will help, the written part that I think will help, the, the overall experience is going to be much better if you are a member. However, if you're just listening to the podcast, I hope this is bringing a ton of help for you. Uh, I, I think this is going to be a really important module here. Um, and we actually have a special guest in case study. Normally case study is going to be only on our module. Um, so it's private only, but we have Angelo Gingerelli here. who's going to talk about resistance training for endurance athletes. And it kind of goes on this other idea of like the opposite end of bioenergetic portfolio is you have endurance athletes who all they do is run. They're going to be limited from a phosphogen perspective. They're going to be limited from a force perspective. So improving that quality from a resiliency standpoint, from a performance standpoint, from just a diversity standpoint within your training. It's not cross-training, it's smart training in my, my mind. And going back into this, this universal law that duality or yin and yang and the balancing of your heat or chi is going to be always going to be the most important thing to think about. And at a time you've got to push, threshold's important and pushing and doubling down on certain things are going to be are going to be foundational, but as a whole, when, it, when we do a macro view and we think about West is, you know, three keys to living longer of, okay, if we have a lot of heat exchange, we need to figure out ways to have lower heat exchange, more breathing, more zone one, zone two. If we have, if we have a lot of caloric expenditure, again, we need to mitigate 
caloric expenditures over time, fasting, you know, all that other stuff. And if we overall are have a lot of heartbeats, we need to make sure that we need to have a lessened period of heartbeats. All the while, though, thinking about it from the context of, do we have the ability to recover from the things that we want to do? Yes or no. And if we don't, what do I need to do from that? And that would be the setup here for practical here next week. Hope you guys enjoyed. If you guys haven't become a member already, highly recommend you do that as well as make sure you check out the website, Strength Deficits Coming, the different the ability to leverage eccentric versus concentric ratios, I think is foundational for all strength coaches, not just ones who work with football. Um, and we're going to get a lot of other content out here in the near future on that. So I hope you guys are getting ready and gearing up for that. Pre-orders are available. And if you do get an order of that, you do get a copy of the programs that inspired the book. Thank you guys. Really appreciate you guys being on and we'll see you guys next week.